0: Hey, great. Hey, I want to start off today telling you this little brief story. So, I'm on vacation, summer vacation, in Montana. Big sky country. It's a glorious day outside. I'm going golfing with my two kids and my nephew. And so, we get to this par three hole, and I'm trying to decide what club to pick because I can visualize just like a basketball player visualizing the the ball going through the hoop or the soccer player visualizing a goal to be made, I'm visualizing my shot landing on the green next to the pin. So I pick out my seven iron and I'm taking those practice swings and I get up there and I look at the ball and I take this swing and I hit it high into the air. I'm thinking this is it. I could die and go to heaven. It's gonna be awesome. And then the ball drifts a little bit to the left. And it drifts a little more to the left. And then it comes down on the concrete cart path. And ricochets over the green onto the next green and hits a woman in the head. (laughs) Let me put it this way. This young 25 year old woman and her boyfriend well, he was not the forgiving type. So I look at my kids. I said, did she get hit in the head? They said, yeah, Dad, she got hit in the head. I said, you guys go on down there and find out if she's okay. <laughs> I didn't do that. No, I should have. So get in the golf carts and drive right down there. And And I want to tell you what, he was so upset. He's got his golf club in his hand right here. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be not good. So we're having this little... Well, he's mad, okay, how can I say this? And she's kind of crying, and I'm like, oh, no. Can it get any worse than this? Yes, but anyway, so at that very moment, I said, I yelled, four, you should duck out of the way. It's your fault. I didn't say that. <laughs> I could have said that. So I called my, one of my kids yesterday, and I said, do you remember this? I goes, oh, Dad, I've been golfing a long time. I've never seen anybody get hit in the head but by you. <laughs> And he goes, furthermore, you never yelled for. that was a problem. Oh, okay. But who would have guessed it would have ricocheted off the concrete cart path and jumped over the green to the next green and lady in the hand. So now then there's some right things to say at that moment and there are some very wrong things to say at the moment. So let me ask you, what does she want to hear at that point, right? What do they want to hear at that point? Now I can get the right answer in the wrong way with a bad attitude makes the situation worse. Have you ever been in that situation? Oh, I know the right answer to that. And, and you, the wrong timing, you say it in the wrong way, you just make it worse. Or you can have the right kind of response for that person right then. So the right response right then was, I'm so sorry, that was my fault. Right, that's gonna be, be my response and that was my response right then and, and I'm just profusely apologizing Uh, uh, For I could have said, well, that was just such a fluke. It ricocheted off this cart path and took a wild turn to the right. Who would have guessed that? And that's why he didn't yell, For And I could have said all that, but it wouldn't have mattered, right? Because what she wants to hear right then and what he wants to hear is simply, I'm sorry. Now then, I'm wrapping up this series on apologetics this week. And we've been talking about the existence of God, how we know God exists. If God exists, why is there evil? We've covered that. But today we want to talk about what is the very best apologetic method that you can have today. And here it is. Here it is, our big idea. The best apologetic is love. That's the best apologetic. Because I can give all the right answers. Hey, there's this thing called the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Let me tell you what this is all about and blah, 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 and go through a bunch of facts. And that might be helpful in the right cases and so forth and give us a little bit of confidence, but the best apologetic ever is our response to people. And the response we need to lead with is love. That's the response we need to lead lead with. Seems to me as you look up the life of Jesus, he didn't lead with anger and uh, those kinds of things. He led with grace and he led with love. Sure, he was firm on issues, no doubt about it. And when I hit the lady in the head with a golf ball, all she wants to know is, am I sorry? Am I gonna take responsibility? So I gotta have the best answer. The best apologetic for us is love. Now. We've been using 1 Peter 3:15 as our key verse. You have the Bible, turn there, and here we go. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It will be on your church app. All the notes will come up, and it'll be on the screens here. Here we go. "But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience." so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, the context of this verse really helps us because Peter is writing to a group of people who are being persecuted. Okay, he's writing to a church group, believers, who are suffering. It's not going well for them. And in fact, if I could say it this way, they have not been bowing to Caesar as Lord They've been revering Jesus as Lord, and they're paying the price for that. Their good behavior, their uh, uh, devotion and commitment to Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords has put them in harm's way. They've been suffering for living the Christian life, and they've been practicing well, living for Jesus, their lifestyles for Jesus, they've been doing all these kind of good works for Jesus, but they have been suffering as well. They've been living a life of love. But by doing so, it gave them the opportunity to talk about Jesus. So, love is not passive. And sometimes we think that way. We think love is passive. And for the early church, love wasn't passive, love was active. When you love somebody, you do something, right? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God did something, right? And we see this in the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? These are the words of Jesus. Even sinners do that. But if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, you know, lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Okay, this is the tough stuff, right? But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It's interesting to me that Peter picks up the same theme in 1 Peter chapter 2, live such good lives among the pagans, that would be people who don't believe in Jesus, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There's an old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Have you heard that? So when we talk to people about Jesus, we need to make sure that they understand that we care about them. People are not projects. They're not on your bucket list to check off. They're people, and people are complicated as well. And so we need to communicate about Jesus Christ to people. That's what apologetics is all about, that we are giving a reason for the hope we have in Jesus. And often it's very personal reasons that we give. There's this quote from a guy named St. Francis says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words if necessary. So, uh, I can't stand that quote. I don't like it a bit. In fact, I think it's terrible. Get right to it here. And I'll tell you why it's terrible. First off, Francis never said it. This, This quote comes hundreds of years after his life. Nothing he ever wrote is even close to this. All right, and what it is is it's, it's communicating, hey, just be a good person, and maybe people will accidentally come to know Jesus without you saying the word Jesus. What kind of ridiculousness is that? you got to get the words out of your mouth. Jesus, God, the Savior. Good works are important, and often good works open the door for the good news. But what we need to be aware of is that we got to get the words out of our mouths at some point. So this verse, this quote that I see right here on the screen, sometimes people use that as an excuse not to say anything. Oh, well, I'm just just living, I'm just living in a way that they notice. Oh, really? All they may know is that you're a good person and you take out your trash on Mondays and you mow your yard on time, you know. You don't know anything else. So what are you communicating? That you're just a good person? That you're not a criminal or something? Eventually you have to get the words of Jesus out of your out of your mouth. You gotta talk about it as well. See, I think this is used as a cop-out. I think it is. Now then we need to lead with love and action, but we gotta get to the point that we say something about a spiritual conversation. You gotta get there at some point and talk about Jesus. So love and action, good works is only an entryway to open the door to talk about Jesus. Now, avoidance is not love. Now, sometimes we think, well, I don't want to bring up something difficult, and you just avoid it. Avoidance is not love. Good works by themselves are not enough. You need to see that as a way of just developing a relationship with someone. No one will ever know about Jesus by your good works alone. Eventually, you have to talk about it. See, this is all an excuse to do nothing, and and Jesus and Peter are not having anything to do with that. Look at our verse again. But in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord instead of Caesar. Always be prepared, circle that word, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Okay? Now then, I had you circle the word be prepared. You've got to be prepared for those moments. You don't know when those moments are going to come. Get it to prepared to talk. In fact, this word means getting your mind ready. And I think sometimes people think, I, I need to go to Bible college to be prepared. I need to take some classes. I want to tell you something. As somebody who's been to a Bible college, taking a lot of classes, you don't need any of those to talk about Jesus. You don't need any of it. Because you can talk about Jesus. Here's what God did in my life. You can tell somebody that. And sometimes we have this deep fallacy idea that I need a lot more information before I can talk about Jesus. The best evangelists in the world are new Christians because they're so excited about their faith. They go and tell everybody. And they got this large pool of people that are unbelievers. And so they go around telling them, hey, I've been going to church and I've learned this. And they talk about how Jesus made a difference in their lives you got to be ready sometimes. Be prepared to give an answer. So Mel Gibson made the movie The Passion. I don't know, kind of an older movie now. It's a very brutal scene about the death of Jesus. Blood is everywhere. I mean, it's, it's quite the movie. And so I'm sitting at a, like an eighth grade basketball game, and this movie is really popular, and people are around me talking about this Mel Gibson movie. I don't know why they are, so they, but they are. And, and then somebody knows I'm a pastor, hey, let's ask the pastor what he thinks of the movie. I'm trying to watch the basketball game. I don't want to talk about the movie right now, but they asked, and is that movie accurate? Because a lot of things in that movie didn't seem to be really, is that, is that really what happened? And they gave me a whole bunch of examples, and I'm listening, and, and I got to be prepared for an answer. So I just simply said this. Well, some of the details might be way off, But the real issue is, did Jesus die and did he come back to life three days later? That's really the main point, isn't it? So what do you think, did he come back to life? I just asked them. (sighs) Not a word was said (laughs) behind me. I got 10 people behind me listening into this conversation and I'm looking at everybody behind me. I'm turning around looking, yeah, I just, it's, right? That's not complicated, I just asked the question back. So Peter says to be prepared. And the other thing that he says is be ready when they ask. I find that really interesting. That when you live in such a way that opens the door, that eventually people start asking questions. When we have love, when we express love and compassion to people, I think they're going to start asking questions. I was, uh, went to Reno, Nevada for a a baseball baseball tournament, high school baseball tournament over spring break. That was brilliant timing because it snowed on the baseball fields. But anyway, so I don't know if you know this, but did you know parents can get upset at sporting activities? (laughs) Did you? And, boy, yeah, somebody said, oh, baby, yeah, okay, so, yeah, so parents can get upset. I've been at activities where the police had to come because fights broke out between parents. But anyway, so I'm at this baseball thing, and something's not going right. Parents are ups, really upset with the coach and really upset with other things. And, and so I hop in the car with a friend of mine. He, we drove over from the hotel to, to the field, and, and he's got his hands on the steering wheel, and I think his knuckles turned away. Just leave it like this. And then he kind of hits the steering wheel. It's like, bam. And he's just so upset. And then he looks over at me and goes, how come you're not upset? How come you don't get so angry? Do you know what we call that for a pastor? We call that an open door. <laughs> oh, well, that's interesting. Well, I've just, you know, I just kind of talk about... I've had a life change in my life, and commitment to God has made a difference in how I respond to things. And he goes, well, that's very interesting. (laughs) Just ponder that. I still have a relationship with that person today, but when people ask you, are you ready? Are you living in such a way, serious question, are you living in such a way that people are asking questions of you? That's what we need to be thinking about. Am I living in such a way that people ask? And if people aren't asking, maybe you don't need to go into a long diatribe about something that's not asking questions, but the moment they start asking questions, then we need to give a response. And then Peter says, respect, do it in a respectful way. Tell people about Jesus, but in a respectful way. Not in a harsh way. Okay, it's kind of like back to my golf story. So, I hit the lady in the head. Now, I need to have a really soft response, right? Not be defensive and those kinds of things, right? So, we need to give a good response to people. That's, well. well, how do we make sure that love is the best apologetic ever? I'm gonna give you three things today with that. Number one, love before you give an answer to them. Don't ambush people with a bunch of information. Love them enough to understand the right way and, and that they're ready to talk. Now then, for some of you, just a few of you, at least one of you in the room here at home, you need to listen to understand people. Don't listen so you can have an argument with them. Don't listen and get ready with your next response. Listen to really figure out what are they saying to me? People live complicated lives, especially today, between COVID, the economy, the housing market, so expensive, you know, people are in complicated situation. We need to love people before we give them an answer. That indicates a relationship. So I heard a story about a single mom of three kids. She went to the laundromat and it's a busy place. She's watching her kids closely. She's trying to fold all the laundry, get it in and out, all that kind of stuff. And then she has to, she's on a time frame, and she needs to get home and get everything squared away because she's got to get to work, right? And so this guy walks up to her and says, can I ask you a question? She goes, well, what? Are you saved? Now, this lady wasn't a Christian at the time, and she's writing this story, and she goes, I, I don't even have time to think about it. i got to get the laundry out and make sure nobody steals my kids while I'm here in the laundromat and make sure they don't tear up the place. And he was, say, I would have rather, he would have said, can I help you fold the clothes? And she goes on to say, if he would have said that, I'd have gone to church with him and married him the next day. <laughs> yeah. Now, this lady actually becomes a believer a couple years later, but it was not because the guy walks up to her who has no relationship with her. Are you saved? Now, I know people who do that. In fact, I've probably done it before. In fact, I'm sure I've done it before. Maybe not that question. But developing a relationship, loving people before you respond to them. Love them supremely before you give them an answer. So if the person who comes up to her in the laundromat, that's not a lot of love at that point as well. We need to talk to somebody about Jesus. We need to love them before we ever bring it up. And if a person doesn't know Jesus, there's nothing more important for them, for them to, to know him, but man, we gotta be sensitive to the timing of that thing as well when we talk to people we, we just need to be thinking about that as well. We're not salespeople, okay? It's a relationship. Peter says, give an answer to everyone who asks. Somebody shows some spiritual interest. Be ready to share your faith. And it doesn't mean I don't think cornering strangers and preaching at them. That, I don't think that's probably, for most people, the approach the that you're going to take, you're going to, develop a relationship with people. So how do I do that? How do I love people before I give an answer? Pray for them. You will be shocked to know that if you pray for unsaved people, they're going to cross the line of faith and just be a good friend. Just be a good friend to people. Number two, love when you give an answer to them. This old Jesus thing, is not like a game of chess and a strategy trying to, manipulate somebody into making a decision. It's not about that at all. Now, sometimes when I'm talking to people in the midst of a conversation, this is what I do. I kind of size up the situation. Somebody's talking to me about something, and I'm usually thinking about two things. Does this person need me to hit them between the eyes with something? Do I need to say to them, that's a knucklehead thing to do? Do they need a dose of reality right then? Or, secondly, do they need the softer side? I'm so sorry, they're there. So I'm thinking between the eyes or they're there. And someday you might be talking to me and think he's sizing me up right now. Or somewhere in the middle of that as well. So while you're talking to people, love them while you're talking to them. Be sensitive to them. Don't be a knucklehead when you don't need to be. And love means at the right time. It's been my experience that some people, they have a lot of information in their head and they just wanna tell the other person about it. And they just talk nonstop. Does anybody have a friend like that? They just talk, don't point in the room. I see that, I even see it at home. And they feel like they know so much that they just gotta tell the other person about all this stuff about God. And then all of a sudden, 20 minutes into the conversation, you realize they haven't said a word back or asked a question. That's a problem. Because at that point, it becomes about you and you have a need to tell them everything you know. They don't want to know everything that you know. If they're not asking questions and they don't seem to be interested, you know, I, I, two words. Are you ready? Stop talking. <laughs> You're doing more harm than good. Stop talking if they're not interested in things. Years ago, I was leading a small group, and uh, this guy starts coming to the group with his wife, and she's a Christian, and he's not, and they'd come every Monday night, and he'd come for a couple months. He came for a couple months, and I'm thinking, he's going to give up soon. I mean, he, he just... And then one day in the middle of a small group, he goes... I don't get any of this stuff. I don't even know anything about Jesus or God. You guys talk to him like you actually know him. And I'm leading this group and I'm thinking, what am I gonna say to that? And then a guy across the way goes, who worked in the local plywood mill, he goes, oh, you'll get there. I was just like you a couple years ago. And he goes, really? Well, well what? how? All of a sudden the conversation is happening. It has nothing to do with me, not a thing. So, so, at that point, there's lots of dialogue. If, and so, when you love someone where you're giving them the, you know, the talking about Jesus, then what you can do is, if they show a lot of interest, you can just keep that conversation going. The best apologetic is love. Love means that while you're having the conversation that you, what, are compassionate, that you're aware of the situation, that you're praying for them while you're having this conversation as well. So they're having this conversation during the middle of our group and this guy, you know, goes home and he's still not a believer. A couple months later, he calls me like at 5 a.m. in the morning. Hey Steve, I just became a Christian. I got Jesus, can we meet right now? I'm like, who is this? It's 5 a.m., call back later, buddy. I didn't say that. I said, well, I'll meet you at such and such place. And of all things, he became a Christian reading a Dave Ramsey book on financials. I said, that is weird. <laughs> he goes, I said, how? He goes, well, he talked about, about, about uh, giving back to God, and he explained it. And I went, that's what I need in my life. I need God in my life. I said, well, okay, all for it, all for it. You know, if you're not having that conversation with people, you need to ask yourself, are you off track in some way in answering their questions? One time I met a guy out here in the atrium and I said, hey, he'd been coming to church for a while. I said, do you want to grab some lunch? He goes, I'd love to. And uh, I said, do you have questions about the, what goes on here? And he goes, yeah, I got a lot of questions. So we go out to lunch and, and we're talking and, and, and I said, what are your questions? He goes, well, I just don't understand any of it. I said, well, fair enough. And, and I began to talk. He asked questions. We're just going back and forth. And I said, well, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. He goes, I believe he lived 2,000 years ago. I said, okay. And I said, he died on the cross, and he came back to life three days later. And he goes, really? I don't believe that. I said, okay. And we talked a little bit more. And he goes, are you sure he came back to life? <laughs> We're having this conversation. And... And at that moment, I realized for 40 years, he's known nothing. He's about 40. And I realized he, he's in process. I love him enough to what? I'm not going to pressure him for an answer in the middle of a restaurant. Because at Grace Community Fellowship, we don't pressure people. We don't, we don't do that. We want people to be thinking it through and deciding to believe. I want people to think it through. And you know, we're not going to pressure people that way. And we didn't, I didn't pressure him that way. What if you went to a restaurant and the waiter person came up and said, today's special is lasagna. You can only have lasagna. You need to decide right now if you're going to have lasagna. You're not going to ever get lasagna again if you don't decide to have lasagna right now. And if you don't have lasagna right now, you will probably be separated from lasagna for the rest of your life. We don't do high-pressure stuff like that. We just don't do that. I'm riding in a, in a, I'm riding in a police car in the front seat. I do a lot of ride-alongs at the police department. And we drive by our church. And the guy goes, is that where, you're, is that where you work? I said, yeah. And uh, I said, you, you ever go to church? And this is what he said. Only when my wife makes me and drags me to church do I ever go to a church. Okay. And uh, I said to him, I just said, Well, do you understand anything? He goes, Not a lick. I have no idea what really goes on in the church I go to with her. Not, I'm confused by everything. I said, oh, well, uh, you know, if there's something I can help you with to understand a little bit so maybe you get along with your wife better, I, I'd be willing to do that. He goes, Really? You would help me with that? So, said, Well, it's kind of my job. <laughs> That was like five years ago. Today, today, I think he's really come along, so much so that I have a relationship with him and his wife today. Very positive, healthy relationship as well. We don't pressure people. We love people enough that while we're conversing with them, we don't pressure them. We just don't. Number three, love after you give an answer. Do you know what the theme is today of this talk? Love is the best apologetic. I can talk about the ontological argument for the existence of God, the cosmological argument for the existence of God, talk about all kinds of things. I think love is the best approach. Just love people. Oh, did you know that seems to be the theme of our church too? Love people where they're at help them follow Jesus? We just love people where they're at. If they're far away from God, we just love them right there. If they're right on the edge of crossing a line of faith, we love them right there. And we love them in between all those places too. And we love them after we give them an answer. So I want to tell you what this looks like in two words, follow up. That's what it looks like, follow up. If you experienced this, and I confess, I'm probably guilty of it, and you tell somebody something and they say this, oh, I'll be praying for you, and then they walk off. (laughs) Two things are going to happen. It's the end of the conversation, and it's time to stop, and that's why they said that, and then maybe or maybe not they'll actually pray for you, but how many times do you get a return phone call asking you how that situation is? See. When you talk to people, all sorts of things are going to bubble up to the surface. Follow back, follow up, how's that situation with your family, how's it going with your work? Hey, I'm just following up a week later, I'm just checking, how did that turn out? I prayed for you about your job. It's a follow up thing. Do you love people enough that you will follow up? After you give an answer for the reason of the hope that you have, will you follow up? Easter Sunday kind of packed, we had three services. I walked out into the atrium, and a young lady, I think she was 21, stood just real close to, you know, six or seven feet, and she wanted to talk. I turned, and she was emotional, she was crying. And so, we talked, I said, Do you wanna sit down? And we sat down, we talked for about five minutes, and, and she explained to me what was going on, and, and I said, you know, how about I pray for you right here in the atrium? She goes, I would love that. After prayer, I said, would you like to talk to somebody else? Uh, You know, we have uh, women on our church staff. I'd love to connect you with somebody. And she goes, she goes, sure. I said, well, why don't you email me, contact me, and I'll arrange for that. So the next day, I'm thinking about this exchange, and I went, she's not going to contact me. No one ever does. That's on me. That's on me to follow up. So I messaged her on Facebook. I said, just following up from yesterday. Would you like to talk to Gretchen, who's on our church staff, and and can I give her your phone number? She goes, absolutely. Please do that. I want to talk to somebody. And so the follow-up was made right then. When we discuss spiritual things with people, follow-up, just don't let them dangle, and 10 years later, it's just kind of sitting out there when we follow up with people, we really show them that we love them. Follow-up is the key. Somebody who's living without God for 25, 35, 45 years, five years, whatever the case may be, and they just need to keep that conversation going. They need to know that you love them and that you care about them and that you respect them enough that you're going to talk to them again. There's a story that Jesus tells that I think is so helpful with this, and it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And what happened was, in Luke chapter 10, 27, a lawyer, uh, Jesus, you know, is talking to him and says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus tells him that. And then the scholarly guy says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, so at this point, Jesus kind of latches on what's going on here, and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which is basically a Samaritan person That would be like somebody that they all hated and the Samaritan person is walking on the road and he finds a guy in a ditch who'd been beat up by, you know, robbers and muggers and so forth and he takes care of him. But in the meantime, religious people avoid this guy in the ditch and just walk around him. They don't want to be bothered with the guy in the ditch. Somebody's hurt, somebody's wounded, they'll be bothered with it. I think that most of us spend a lot of our time doing exactly that. We are avoiding being bothered by people who are hurting. The Samaritan person finds this person and then helps them, bandages their wounds, pays for them to stay at an inn and buys all their food, just takes care of them. Now, then Luke 10, 36, Jesus wraps it up, this story. He goes, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, I guess Jesus, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So I was thinking about the story this week, and I thought, you know, the, the Samaritan person, see, this is the thing that catches them off guard, that a Samaritan person would actually help a Jewish person, you know, just because they didn't talk to each other. The racism was, was overwhelming, the prejudice, the animosity, the hurt, the anger toward these two groups of people. But it was the Samaritan who the Jews despised and called dogs actually helped the person who was Jewish in the ditch. Well, nobody else did. So, what if he helped him in the ditch? He goes, hey, buddy. Why don't you pray to receive Jesus, then I'll take you to the hospital. Does that do anybody any good? Well, the answer is no. Hey, buddy, I'm going to take you to the hotel. Do you have a credit card to pay for it? Oh, your credit cards were stolen? How about you sign here for an IOU? Hey, I'm going to take you to the hotel and uh, to this place that's going to help you out, but I want to make sure that you understand that you've got to pay me back there's no hint of that. Not one iota. When we interact with people, we need to understand something. They don't care what you know until they know that you care about them. And the whole story of the Good Samaritan was a shock to the Sometimes it's a shock to our system when we encounter someone in the ditch. They're not looking to find out all the scientific reasons that a God exists. They're not interested in your answers why there's evil in the world. They're not interested in your answers about how old the Earth is right now. They're interested in getting out of the ditch for somebody to love them. The best apologetic, the best reason that you can give for somebody is that God loves them and so do you. I love you. And I want you to know that God loves you more than you could ever hope or think or ask. So the best reason that you can give is as simple as John 3.16. For God so loved me that he gave me his son. And he gave his son to you too. Because love in action creates an atmosphere where people are open to the good news of Jesus. And it's such good news. Why would we ever shy away from the good news of Jesus? You know where to start? Love in action. Love them before you give an answer. Love them when you give an answer. Love them after you give that answer by following up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to get somebody in your mind that you need to pray for. I was asked, so get ready for that. Get somebody in your mind. I'm going to ask you to pray for them. Let's do that right now. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that you loved us enough that you sent Jesus to be with us, to die for us and to be raised from the dead. Right now, would you pray for somebody? You may be thinking, I'm not sure what to pray. Well, why don't you just pray that they would be open to a spiritual conversation? And then ask God to give you wisdom so that you know when they are open to having that conversation. Heavenly Father, as a church, we pray that we can be agents of your love to people who are far from you. Help us to be wise. Help us to love them now. Help us to love them when we have those conversations. Help us to love them after those conversations. And give us the courage to get the words out of our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. And we pray this in his name. Amen.